Welcome to this week's episode of the HS Health Tech Podcast. My name's James, one of the founders of HS, and with me this week, I have Jan Kimpen, who is the Chief Medical Officer of technology giant Philips. So Jan works as the leader for clinical strategy. Uh, He works with a load of different health system customers, and he delivers entire end-to-end health technology solutions that support better outcomes and experiences for their customers at lower cost. So Jan's a former hospital CEO. He's a professor of pediatrics. He's an expert on digital innovation, and he's got a huge amount of expertise in data management, AI, precision medicine, telehealth, advanced home care, everything you'd kind of need to run something like the medical office of Philips. So he's the head spokesperson as well for what Philip's calling the Future Health Index, which is a yearly study which looks at various healthcare professionals and general populations in 15 different countries and determines how ready they are to address global health challenges and build sustainable health systems. And on the podcast, we talk about that report. We talk about some of the interesting findings of that report, the likes of China, Russia, Saudi Arabia being almost exemplars for health tech now because they're building hospital systems from scratch and they're able to integrate all these new digital technologies. India as well is in that category. And we talk about Jan's background. We talk about his leadership and management roles and how he first got into those. We talk about how Philips thinks about health tech companies. We talk about how they partner, how they create solutions, how they're digitizing things. And how mainly Philips are focusing on the unmet needs of their customers, which is, as you'll notice, the same for them as it is for entrepreneurs in the space. They're actually acquiring companies to offer full kind of end-to-end services and they're sharing that risk with hospitals. So Jan on the podcast, he'll talk about what they're doing with cardiac catheter labs. So for those that don't know, when you need to have your vessels looked at in your heart, you'll often have an injection through your groin and a scan at the same time to kind of light up the vessels in your heart. And that's done in what's called a cath lab. So Philips offer hospitals a kind of end-to-end solution, i.e. they will just say, here is a brand new cath lab, here's all the equipment, and they'll design the entire service around that. So they talk and they think about healthcare as a service, not a load of products that have to then be connected by the hospital themselves. And that's a very interesting way to think about healthcare. It's actually a very modern and progressive way to think about healthcare, even as entrepreneurs. And we sort of make those links within the podcast as well about how to think about how products should fit in and how people should be designing services, even at kind of ground floor seed stage entrepreneur level. And Jan and I talk about a load of other stuff as well. We've got a lot in common being clinicians and now in the digital space. So I hope you guys enjoy the chat. As always, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at HSVenture, Instagram at HS.Ventures. You can get me, James Somaru, so S-O-M-A-U-R-O-O on LinkedIn, Twitter, and my Instagram is J underscore Soms, so S-O-M-S. Do get in touch. Feel free to email us, info at HS.Live. Our website (coughs) is HS.Ventures, excuse me, and yeah, let us know what you think. Suggest a guest, suggest a topic pitch yourself to come on the podcast whatever you want to do with that info so do get in touch and let us know so jan welcome to the hs health tech podcast how are you doing i am i am fine james thanks for asking i'm i'm perfect 
Excellent. Where are you talking to us from today, Jan? I am basically, I am in the Netherlands now. I just returned from a, a business trip in the US. So I will be, will be working from home today. And oh, very nice. Very nice. So Jan, we've obviously had a brief chat before, so I know about your background, but for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you tell us your story? Yeah, I will, uh, it will be a pleasure doing that. I am a pediatrician. I worked in pediatrics for close to 25 years in several countries, in Belgium, in the Netherlands, two years in the US, and even a year in India, which was during my training. Um, and I enjoyed that work very much. I worked with patients um, every day. I did research on respiratory tract infections, and I was really enjoying myself. And I, I, I had the, the deep conviction that I was doing something of value. And then during my career, I found out that I had other capabilities and that I wanted to to make my world a little bit bigger. So increasingly, I took on leadership roles, management roles. And at the end of my career as a pediatrician, I was the professor of pediatrics and the chairman of the department in Utrecht um, at the University Medical Center, the Wilhelmina Children's Hospital. Um, that was a very exciting time. I did that for 10 years. I took on extra roles. I became the director of the, the training and, and uh, teaching program. So the medical faculty, in fact, of, the, uh, of Utrecht. And then I was asked to join the executive board, which was a little bit of a natural step. I never prepared myself when I was young to become an executive in, uh, in healthcare, but it came as a sort of natural step on my journey. So I joined the board of the University Medical Center in Utrecht the first year as the dean and the second, uh, from the second year onwards as the CEO of the healthcare system, the University Medical Center healthcare system. And I did that for eight years, two periods of four years. And I decided already at the beginning that I would not do that for longer than this period of time. And why I am so convinced about that statement is that I deeply believe that after a certain point in time, you have done it all, you have seen it all, it becomes a routine. You lose a little bit of the bite uh, to go to work every day and do new things. Um, and I knew in the beginning that that would happen someday around six, seven years in the job. So I kept my word and after seven years, I decided to um, uh, not go for a third term and, and go to look for something else. And then there was the big question, what would that something else be? Um, I had a very clear understanding for myself that I wanted again to work for a organization with a purpose. And it doesn't make sense not to work for an organization with a purpose. And I went looking and I went looking out of my comfort zone in the corporate world. And I looked at different companies that I had a, an, an, a, a sort of, of natural relation with. And then I came across Philips and I talked with Frans van Houten, our CEO, 
And I had a very open dialogue with him, not really looking for a job, but just a dialogue on if there would be value for somebody coming from my world into a corporate world as, as Philips represents. And then Franz started talking about the transformation in healthcare that Philips is believing in and the transformation of the company that accompanied or is surfing that same wave of healthcare transformation. And I got really inspired by it. And then he said, listen, I have, I have three jobs here that are vacant and think about them. And um, you, can, you, you, you can be a candidate for it. So then I took a week and I said, okay, the chief medical office role is something that seems to resonate with me. And then he said, okay, then I'm going to step back because I don't want it to be a I want it to be an open process. It's the first chief medical doctor, chief medical officer that we have uh, in this, uh, uh, on this level. So I'm gonna step back. I'm gonna add you to the long list and success with the, with the journey. And that journey took me five months, five months of interviews, of assessments. And then at the end of October, 2015, I got a job. And since the 1st of January, 2016, I am the chief medical officer, global chief medical officer of Philips. So that's a little bit my, my journey into, um, into this role. Cool. It's really interesting, isn't it? How you mentioned right at the start when, well, quite near the start, when you're talking about your first move from a clinician into kind of the exact world, that being a clinician, even being a professor and even doing all those different things in research didn't really prepare you and nothing really prepares you for that executive role. And it's interesting, isn't it, that in healthcare, there are so many clinicians, obviously, that can add so much value at that executive level, but there is no official training. How did you find that transition into being an exec from being a clinician? Because we have a lot of clinicians that listen and that get in touch uh, wondering about careers and wondering how to sort of break into that executive role, be that as a consultant or professor, but also actually earlier on. And people often ask me, you know, how do we get that um, experience in order to carve that career path for ourselves? So how did you find that? And what advice would you have for those clinicians that are listening? Um. It, it's a difficult question, but it's also a very nice question to, to, to do some philosophy around, I guess. It's, um, it starts with curiosity and it starts with, um, with following your, um, your internal drive. And, and that had to do with leadership. This sounds all a little bit hazy and, and high over, but I'm going to try to, to explain. Um, I felt very early on that being a doctor, uh, treating patients as a, as, as a very well circumscribed bucket of activities would not satisfy me as a, in, 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 in my development, uh, in the development of my personality, professional personality uh, enough. So I was looking for leadership and I was taking, I was, was really willing to take on some, some leadership roles and that I did from the beginning. Uh, I never took no for an answer. I wanted to 
to do something more. I wanted to develop myself and at the same time develop the, the small organization that I was working in at that time. So this leadership role expanded and I enjoyed it. And the second thing is curiosity that I, I am a little bit of an information addict. So I was reading increasingly on topics about medicine than topics in medicine, meaning I was reading articles on, on how medicine is organized, how healthcare is organized. Why is payment so different in the US than in Europe? How is healthcare in Turkey and in Sweden and in South Africa? So that curiosity brought an other area of interest to my attention that I wanted to dive deep in. And then when you bring these two things together, the curiosity to, to step out of bounds and to go to areas that you never encountered when you were in medical school, but that really were in, are important in the, in, in the government and the organization and the transformation in healthcare was the first thing, and then take the leadership to make that part of your future. So, uh, and then once that, that, that the, these two things came together, uh, becoming a better leader every day and, and expanding my area of interest, the next step I, I did was to, to take some, uh, some courses on it. So I registered for online courses on leadership. I participated in, in symposia and in uh, in, 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 um, in business schools, uh, courses on, on leadership, on transformation, on, um, uh, on business modeling. So I read a lot of books on it. I think I have a pretty decent library on, uh, on leadership, on management, on healthcare transformation, um, on psychological models, on HR, here, in, here at home, and I studied. I studied myself because I liked it. And then I, I enjoyed some really deep courses at IMD in, uh, in Lausanne in Switzerland, on, um, where I was together with other leaders, with other executives, and I could learn from them. So I, I pretty much developed myself in this regard, but it all started with wanting to do something more than only being a clinician taking care of patients. Yeah, I can, I, can relate, I can relate to that so much, actually. And you mentioned a few really interesting phrases there, one of which was, at the end of the day, you know, just follow your internal drive. And that is definitely what I say to people, whether it's into entrepreneurship, whether it's into health tech in general, whether that's, as you say, into an exec role. I think it's so important to absolutely stay true to yourself and, and try to figure out what your actual truth is and, and to just do that. Because one of the problems that I found, especially as a clinician, was just this element of box ticking. And I've seen it outside of medicine too. You know, people, you know, there's the MBA box to tick. There's the management consultancy box to tick. There's all these different boxes that you can tick in order to forward your career seemingly. But following what you actually want to do can lead you down really interesting paths too. And, and there is an argument to say, okay, yes, getting those boxes ticked puts you um, in a better position often to have more opportunities and, and the ability to, to make different decisions about where you go. But at the end of the day, if you're not honed into that internal truth, if you're not honed into at the end of the day, just doing what you want to do, 
then you're going to be led astray. And I think, you know, when you said, you know, you wanted, you wanted to do something more, you wanted to develop yourself, you wanted to develop the organization, you wanted to, you know, explore this curiosity. I followed a very similar path, actually. And I can see how you've ended up in health tech, particularly when you talk about the desire to use this external information outside of the medicine bubble. You know, you go and learn these external things. And we see it in health tech all the time when you get engineers and, and, you know, electrical engineers or chemical engineers or biomedical engineers that have got this mindset that's completely different. They've got this knowledge base that's completely different. But when they bring that kind of external passion, and in your case, you know, leadership and management, when you take that external passion and knowledge and drive and you bring that into medicine, you can make an enormous change. And it's such a, such a rewarding change because again, it's in healthcare, but it's using that kind of external information to produce this, you know, new innovation within health. And I can completely see how you've then gone to come and do this stuff at Philips and, and satisfy that drive. So I guess my next question then is, around around Philips and it, it must have been a really exciting time to go in because as I understand it they didn't really have much of a healthcare health tech whatever you want to call it sort of department so you were then brought in to build that out is that right no I, I think that would give me too much uh, <laughs> too much honor here um, I, I see myself as part of the transformation, not as the driver of the transformation. I am co-driving the, 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 the transformation and I'm gonna explain that. I, um, the, the company had already decided uh, under the, the fantastic leadership of, of and very inspiring leadership of Frans van Houten to to focus on one of the big areas that Philips was known for. And if you take 10, if you go 10 years back or eight or even, or even six, we still had three big divisions. We were at an industrial conglomerate with three divisions. First was uh, lighting, which were our roots. Uh, we, we started with making lamps, uh, 120, uh, seven, 28 years ago. The second was consumer electronics and the third was uh, the medical division. Now, all these three buckets of activities are in a very, very competitive field. Lighting is very competitive. Consumer electronics is extremely competitive and medical equipment and infrastructure and digital is becoming more and more competitive. So uh, Frans van Houten and, and the team, they decided they, have, they had to focus. And in the end, and that's a little bit uh, a long story uh, cut short, they decided to go full-blown into healthcare. So eight years, seven, eight years ago, they started divesting um, the activities in the consumer electronic space, everything that had to do with television, audiovisual, Blu-ray, uh, uh, discs, they divested that. And then in 2016, if I'm correct, they divested lighting, which was a big deal. It, it was almost like cutting off your roots and, and going a complete new direction. So they split the company in two. Uh, Philips Lighting was one company and Royal Philips being 
only medical and wellness related activities was the uh, was 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 the big company now uh, Philips Lighting has uh, gotten another name now. It's called Signify. It is listed on the stock market separately. It's a separate company. We have still a very small stake in it, but it's a separate company. And Philips, as it is today, it's a focused uh, uh, full play medic uh, medical technology company. Um, and, and that is... Uh, that is good because then we can concentrate on one topic only, which is more than enough, and we can we can focus all our investment to the um, to, to 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 medical uh, to medical equipment, medical digital uh, tooling, and the new world of of medicine, medicine in transformation, as we call it. So, in really basic terms, then. What does the healthcare technology arm of Philips do? We have we have four what we call four clusters, and that is four pillars of business. The first is what we have been known for for a long time. It's our precision diagnosis activities, which have everything to do with imaging, CT scanning, MR, diagnostic radiology. Uh, but also more end-to-end -end solutions, uh, oncology solution, neurology solution, radiology solution, digital pathology, everything that has one way or the other to do with imaging. Then the second cluster is uh, connected care. It's, it, it, it is built on our monitoring business that is very big. Uh, almost 50% of people monitored anytime in the world are monitored by Philips equipment. But on top of that, we put digitalization, hospital to home, digital connections, population health management, vital health, a company we acquired for, for, it's for patient engagements and patient empowerment. The third, that's the second cluster. The third cluster is image-guided uh, therapy, uh, mainly focused on cardiology, uh, heart catheterization laboratory, as well as devices, but also going into, into surgery, minimally invasive surgery. And then the fourth cluster is personal health, and that has everything to do with wellness, toothbrushes, skin care, female beauty, uh, mother and child care, uh, more the, the direct-to-consumer wellness and health uh, cluster so that is that is philips in a nutshell mm. and so are you guys building hardware so when you talk about medical devices for example are you guys building hardware are you out there looking to acquire stuff are you investing in stuff so i'm just thinking the entrepreneurs listening because i'm sure a few people will be clicking on this episode to hear kind of how they can sort of interact with philips and how they should be kind of thinking about philips in terms of potentially partnering or building out their companies and and, and things like that so yeah what, what's your role so take the medical devices element or even take the b2c element what is it practically that you guys are doing are you building those devices are you acquiring etc etc making this transformation in healthcare and being a a modern future oriented health technology company is more than selling products in boxes yeah so the whole transformation is built on 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 different pillars 
the one pillar is solution, solution transformation. Increasingly, we see in the new world of value-based healthcare uh, with, 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 merging, with merging healthcare organizations and, and a shift of decision-making from the doctor to the, uh, to, to the C-suite, we see that our customers are asking less and less for a CT scan in a box. They ask for an end-to-end -end solution. They want to buy imaging. They want to buy monitoring instead of a CT scan or a monitor. So solution transformation is first thing. The second pillar is digitalization. Uh, we do more than 50% of our R&D investments now are in healthcare informatics instead of hardware. So the whole digital world is moving in to healthcare and to Philips. And the third um, pillar of this transformative way of looking at Philips is partnerships. So instead of having a product that we built in our um, in our labs and then try to sell it in the marketplace, we try to pull up the unmet needs of the customer and then put our innovation to work to cater for these unmet needs. So then going back to your question, um, we uh, in this solution thinking, in this digitalization thinking and in these partnerships, we are looking for organic as well as anorganic investments. Organic, I told you about 60%, 50 to 60% is organic investment of our resources in R&D in digitalization. 40 to 45% is still in hardware. And then organically, we are looking for companies, alliances, partnerships that can that, that can make our portfolio more complete. So if I take an example, if we, if we look at our cat labs in our image guided therapy cluster, like 10 years ago, we sold a cat lab with a table and a monitor and a C arm and everything that belongs to a cat lab. And we sold that almost as individual pieces to the customer. Now we go to the customer and we say, okay, listen, we are taking a shared risk for your cat lab. We provide everything that is inside there, the monitoring, the services, the connectivity, the digital, and we take a risk, a shared risk financially as well as for patient outcome, how that cat lab performs in your hospital. And we try to, to build that cat lab into an all-encompassing affair by acquiring device companies. So now we don't only have the imaging equipment and the cat lab equipment, but also the devices that doctors use to do the interventions on their patients. And we started with a company that brought devices to the market uh, for interventions in the heart. And then we saw that we were lacking on peripheral vascular disease. So we bought another company 
that has devices that take care that that doctors can use for peripheral vascular disease. So we try to expand our portfolio into a complete solution for cardiology, a complete solution for radiology, a complete solution for cardiology, or for or for oncology with organic as well as inorganic investments. And that's also how we we we. Uh, approach the marketplace and the startup uh, um, uh, ecosystem. And you see it all the time. We came out with, with an announcement even today that, or yesterday that we acquired a company that helps us prepare the patient before they go into a, um, uh, in, in, in for an X-ray or an MR or CT scan into the hospital. So we are slowly building the portfolio into something that is pretty much complete. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting approach. And, you know, there's a, there is a, a lesson for entrepreneurs listening here that are in the health tech space that you, you're treating healthcare as, as a, you know, services. You're not, you're not sort of treating it as products. And at the end of the day, healthcare is a service and it should be treated as such. And I think people often get bogged down in, in trying to develop really isolated products within healthcare be that a device be that and i don't know an app or be that something just really kind of simple and, and well demarcated but at the end of the day being so problem focused as you are and that really came out in your answer there you, you can appreciate that all of these things have to fit into a service and when you can make that service end to end you absolutely take an enormous problem away for mm. a customer and you genuinely solve a problem because we see it far too much especially at you sort of our end of the market in, in more of the early stage you know seed series a stage there's a lot so many products that are trying to fit into clinical workflows but as you've said you know you're completely the other end where you're talking about you know cardiac catheter labs and you say right we're just going to end-to-end give you a brand new lab with beds and monitors and equipment and devices and kind of everything so you're you're literally sort of kitting out the entire room and entire service which is kind of the holy grail and with your resources that's you know an incredible incredible place to sit and i also think one thing you mentioned there which i'd like to just you you touch on a bit more detail excuse me is the the business model that i found interesting because you mentioned risk sharing Mm -hmm. and your customers are obviously hospitals or hospital groups and and in, in you know in your example of the cardiac catheter I think it's really it's really nice. It's really interesting and, and probably really necessary that you undergo that risk sharing. So do you want to just touch on that a little bit? Yeah, we are that uh, that is still in the beginners phase, and I think with all the companies, it is in the beginners phase. And I'm going to explain it. The world is moving into from a fee for service model where everything you do for or to a patient is paid for separately, uh, which is an unsustainable model because there are more and more patients. The world population is increasing. There is more multiple diseases, multiple chronic diseases. We are aging. So it is unsustainable to, to, to stay into a system that is purely based on a fee-for-service payment model. So slowly you see a shift to what is called value-based care and value-based reimbursement, meaning that as a provider, as a doctor, as a hospital, you are increasingly being paid for the value you add to your patients and the outcome 
that results from your diagnosis and your treatment rather than from the individual activities that you do or that you undertake yeah. for that patient. Now, that, that, that value-based uh, care paradigm is increasingly incorporated in reimbursement models in a lot of countries in the world. And some countries are front runners and some countries are lag lagging behind. And even within a country, there is there are some providers, some hospitals that are more value-based oriented than, than other. And these hospitals that are going into these value-based care models, they ask something different from us than before. If you have a fee-for-service model, the more CT scans you do, the more you get paid for. So it makes a lot of sense to have a negotiation with a, a, a CT scan vendor as ourselves and say, okay, I want the best, the, the cheapest machine with the highest specs that I can do as many patients as possible because I get paid for every single patient. That's a business model that's a, that has worked for the last uh, give or take 100 years or even more. It is the classical business system. Now they, 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 ask us something different. They say, listen, we have a patient population here and we are paid on a capitation, uh, in a capitation model or in a bundled, uh, in, 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 uh, in, in a bundled risk model, meaning that I get a certain amount of money to, per patient to take care of that patient with everything that he encounters healthcare wise. So now I'm gonna have an other conversation with you, Philip, and say, okay, I will, I, I hope that you can help me treat this patient with the best outcomes using equipment that is just enough to do the job, but to do it excellently. And then I am going to try to agree key performance indicators with you based on my financial outcomes and the clinical outcomes of the patient. And if we can reach these KPIs together in a long-term strategic partnership with each other, you get a higher revenue. If we don't need them, you get a lower revenue because also then we get a lower revenue from the insurance companies if our outcomes are not as good as they should be. That's a completely different mindset. And, and we decided uh, to, to go for that value-based healthcare paradigm. We translated in, uh, in the quadruple aim. And the quadruple aim is, in fact, as an, an, that you try to address three, four goals at the same time, better health outcomes, improved patient experience, which has everything to do with quality of care, with communication, with with the length of stay in the hospital and with the experience of a patient when he is there, staff experience and lower cost. And why did we take that translation from the value-based care paradigm into the quadruple aim? Because we can attach KPIs to all these four goals. 
And then we have an educated conversation with the provider, say, okay, let's go into a long-term partnership with each other and let's take this on together. You get capitation payment, we are going to help you reach your outcome goals, outcome, clinical outcome goals for your patient and financial outcome goals for yourself. And we are going to do this together and we take the upside as well as the downside risk together. And we identified a, a few of our solutions that we would test the market with and CatLab Managed Services is one of those. Yeah, very interesting. And again, pulling out a lesson for the entrepreneurs listening, that's a really interesting way to go about a conversation with a potential customer if indeed that customer is um, a hospital a, you know a primary care center you know whatever it is that has got certain goals and you know the, the fee-for-service model it creates perverse incentives doesn't it and it, you know whether that's to over scan or under scan people you know it, in that example that you used and it's it really striking isn't it that actually if you tie the new innovation or the new service or the new group of products, you know, however you want to define it. If you tie that to actual goals that everybody actually wants. And if you can get to a point where everybody's very honest about what they actually want, you can then undergo, as you say, that risk sharing and you can take the upside, you can take the downside, but at the end of the day is the entrepreneur presenting a new service. You're then sort of backing yourself, aren't you? Because what you're saying to the organization is, you know, I'm not just going to, take money every time you use this or every time you don't use this, whichever way around you do it. What you're saying is I am very confident I can help you meet your goals. And actually mm -hmm. if we don't meet your goals, we're going to absorb the risk there. And I think that's a really, it's a really nice way of doing it. And you're obviously talking about it at a very high end, but I actually think it genuinely applies to, you know, the seed series A end as well, because at the end of the day, those people are even less likely to take on an early stage company than they are the likes of Philips. And I think anything to kind of oil the wheels of, of a deal and yeah. to kind of help those business models get through is, is incredibly important. So I guess just moving us on then, one of the things that you've done in your department, if, if you want to call it that, at Philips, is sort of call it future predicting or, or in fact just, you know, doing a report on the future of health and health tech as you guys see it. And it was called the Future Index Report and I had a, I had a read of it and you've done an incredible amount of research. So, you know, 15,000 individuals, over 3,000 healthcare professionals, across 15 different countries and you've done this kind of mapping of where you see the future of health tech. So do you want to just kind of summarize that report for us and, and talk about some of the interesting bits that you found? Yes, it, um, I, I will be glad to do. So this is the fourth edition of the Future Health Index and we are building every edition on the previous ones. Uh, and it fits in our strategy. It's not just a, a study that we commit uh, to, to an organization to do for us. No, we, we, we see it as part of our new way of looking at, at healthcare. If we want to be closer to our customers, what I told you in the beginning, that partnerships are much more important than they were in the beginning, rather than making a product and then pushing it to the market. We have to understand our, um, uh, our customers. That is the, the win for us. And then if we have all these data from all these, from these massive amounts of, of patients and doctors, 
we can give that back as educational material to that community. So that is the dual uh, goal of this study, getting information for us from a number of countries, 15 this year, and then translating that in a very nice report and giving back this information to these markets. Say, listen, you, we did a big, uh, a, a big uh, survey in your country, and this is how your people and your healthcare professionals are looking at the healthcare system in your country. Now, this year we did 15, indeed 15 countries, and we send out a survey to a to approximately 2,500 to 3,000 uh, individuals in every country, as well as 300, 350 healthcare professionals in that country. And we tried this year to understand how digitalization is influencing the relation between doctors and patients in the office, in the hospital, and also when the patients are back at home. And there are three big messages that came out of the report. And there are some differences in the countries, but the three things that, that, that came up very clearly in almost all the countries was, first of all, that doctors and other healthcare professionals are increasingly comfortable with digital tools and digital solutions. So even if we know that doctors are often frustrated with their electronic medical records, they still feel that the world is a better place with electronic medical records than it was when they had only their paper files. Um, also increasingly, they, they like other digital tools, apps that patients use to monitor their blood pressure or their blood sugar or their weight. Uh, they also feel more comfortable sharing uh, digitally the, the data with their patients and sharing the data with other professionals in their own hospital as well as with other healthcare organizations. So in summary, the professional society or that's maybe not a good word, but the, 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 the professional community sees that digitalization is going to be part of healthcare in the future, and they start embracing it more and more. The second uh, uh, important message that came out of the study was that, that patients feel more empowered if they have uh, access to their data, have access to their files, can share these data and these files uh, with other doctors and other healthcare professionals. And patients who have the opportunity to do that because their doctor or their provider, their hospital makes it possible, they feel better about the care that is delivered to them than, than patients who do not get that opportunity to get digital insight in their data and share these data with, uh, with others. Uh, and they all say, we would like to have that opportunity. So the second, the second set of conclusions was that patients like it and they feel empowered if they get the opportunity. And then the third message is that we can learn from, uh, from emerging markets, from the, uh, from the, 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 
the countries that have to build their uh, health system almost from scratch, from ground up, they are leapfrogging into the digital world if you compare that to countries where the healthcare system has already a long legacy of, of years and they have to change into the digital world. So if there is changing is always more difficult than adopting something for, for a, a service that, that was not there before. So Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, where healthcare systems are being built as we speak, they jump immediately to this digital world, while in more traditional countries like the US and the Netherlands, they, it, it's, they can learn from these emerging countries how they can move faster and change faster into the digital world. That were the three big messages that we got from the report this year. That was actually the bit that I was going to pull out there about the front-running countries. So I was going to ask you why it was that China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, India were coming out as front-running countries. And you've kind of answered the question that at the end of the day, it's people that are sort of building their health system from scratch and they're kind of able to build it around these new technologies and i suppose it's similar to it's similar to what to like roads and and built up areas you know in the uk we've got roads that are hundreds and hundreds of years old and so we've got a really kind of difficult system to drive around whereas in the us they built it from scratch and they've got a lovely grid and everything's very simple and i suppose it's that same element isn't it it's that same principle that if you're building around the technologies that you've got now it's far easier to integrate with digital tech because the end the day it, it might be all that people have ever known in that region or that that, that hospital or, or you know clinical area etc were you surprised to see that it was those countries specifically or did you guys have an inkling before that 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 was going to be the case uh, no we we didn't have an yeah of course you can have an, an an inkling as you say that that it might be like that but until you have proven it it is just an inkling and nothing more and I think your analogy with the roads is, is, is a very good one. This year they were not in the study, but the previous year they were, and it's Qatar. And Qatar did, did not even have hospitals until uh, maybe 10 years ago. So they are they built together with them a new hospital. And why would you not use all the opportunities and all the possibilities you have now you have to train new people you have to bring them on board you can put digitalization in from the beginning you have the whole infrastructure ready it, it, it's much easier than going to a dutch hospital and say okay we did our work always the old way and now we are going to move into a digital world that is that is much harder to do than than build it from scratch so your analogy with the roads UK versus US is 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 a very good one. I I couldn't have said it better. I guess. <laughs> Thank you. So what what does all this mean then for ground floor clinicians or entrepreneurs that are trying to innovate? What what does this report mean for those two groups of people? How can they use this information and what can they glean from it in order to help them make a change? I think for doctors it means that that. Uh, and when I give presentations and talk to doctors also individually, uh, there is no other possibility than to embrace 
the, the new way of working, including digital. Uh, there is no way of getting old as a doctor now from the end of med school until the end of your career and doing the same as what your teacher or your predecessor did in that department. You will have to do it differently. And just doing something better that we did yesterday, it's not going to cut it. You will have to do something completely different. You will have to be prepared as a doctor that maybe not now, but in one, two, three years, you will be invited by the patient to come into the patient's world. And the patient will come with the data that she gathered already before she came to you in the hospital. And she will share these data with you and you will have an, an, educated, uh, an, an educated opinion and a treatment all based on these data. So you will not be measuring blood pressure in your office anymore. The patient will already have measured the blood pressure for maybe three or four days in a row continuously, which gives much more rich information. You will probably also not be looking through the microscope anymore at pathology slides. The computer will have done a lot of that work for you. And your work will be to integrate these much more accurate data in a good treatment and diagnostic and treatment plan for that patient. And you will work with a multidisciplinary team, uh, bringing the best for this individual patient in a personalized way to the table. So your work as a doctor, as a pathologist will be completely different with the new world. So that is the message I bring to to, to doctors' communities that I talk to. And some of them are looking forward to that. And some say it's not going to go so fast. And some come up with all kinds of excuses. Our old people cannot do it. Now it will be only a few years before everybody can use all these digital solutions that we have now uh, on the market, old people as well as young people. For the entrepreneurial people listening to this, it, it's more difficult, you know, for people who are who are entrepreneurs within big organizations. So, for example, like the entrepreneurial spirit in Philips, it is easier because there they have to get used to other ways of putting their innovation at work. Not only making a more perfect hardware piece, but going into platform economy, artificial intelligence that kind of, of, of new stuff that will be important for the future. For entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial people in the startup scene is much more difficult. We have thousands of startups. They have all very, very cool um, products, but they're often very much one-off. So they are a solution for a limited number of people in a limited area of the world. And although I like these startups a lot, I like the people a lot, they're very, very inspiring people. It is very difficult to get these small startup solutions into the complete integrated system that a hospital is using. And I'm going to give you a example. Uh, I am, I am approached very often by, uh, by young, eager, energizing people that come to me and say, listen, I have a fantastic 
solution for people with mental health problems in, and I developed this for a community in the north of the Netherlands. Now that can be as cool as it gets, but if it is not scalable, it will never find a place in healthcare as a whole. If it is not interoperable with all the other digital uh, tools we have, it is not going to, 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 to be scalable in, in, in the community. If it is not better than something that somebody else developed for an other area in the world, it's not going to cut it. So it is, it's, it's, it's very difficult and it's also discouraging, I have to be honest, it's also discouraging for me to, to, to give this sometimes bad news to these people who are very energized about uh, the products they bring to the market. On the other hand, if they can be integrated in, in big systems, it's fantastic. Like the, the one we bought yesterday, the Medium um, uh, tool that came out of a startup and that helps people prepare themselves for an imaging exam, which can be now part of our total imaging solution, then we have a, a fantastic product. But that is only the minority, I guess, of all the startups that can find a, a good place in, in, in the healthcare environment. And aside from the interoperability and scalability points, which are incredibly important, and you know, at HS, we tell people this all the time, aside from those two things, for the startups listening that might want to approach Philips, what advice do you have for those startups? So who should be approaching you? What do you find interesting? What I would do if I would be a startup, I would start uh, uh, looking at what Philips is interested in. Uh, because you know you cannot you cannot boil the ocean, and we are strong in cardiology. We are strong in 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 respiratory diseases. We are strong in oncology and in radiology, but we are not strong in other areas of the. We are, for example, not doing too much except for the regular imaging in orthopedics. So if you know that already, and a purely orthopedic solution will probably not be attractive for Philips. Something that adds to our portfolio in the cardiology field might. So that is already some, some desk research uh, uh, that, that you can do. And then from our side, we, we are continuously on the outlook for startups. So we keep a very, very good view on the horizon on all the startups that we, that, that, that we learn about we approach them ourselves. Some of them that are promising, we take on. We have a lot of ventures going on in, in, in several places in the world where we, where we invest to bring startups to a higher level of maturity. And sometimes we go into an alliance with them or a partnership. Sometimes we buy them. Sometimes they become part of the Philips. Sometimes we only get their, uh, uh, their IP uh, from them. Sometimes we take a stake in their company. So there are different ways how we engage with startups. We are wildly enthusiastic about it, but they need to fit one, day, one way or the other in our, in, in, in our sweet spots, in our roadmap. If they don't fit, it is, it is very hard to, uh, to embrace them and to support them. 
Amazing. So wonderfully clear advice that if you're not in cardiorespiratory oncology, oncology or radiology, then maybe don't get in touch with Jan. But otherwise, absolutely do and try and get on Jan's radar. So Jan, this has been an absolute pleasure. I've learned a great deal about Philips and how you guys work and, and how you integrate with startups. And the way we end these podcasts is I just hand back over to you for a minute or so just to kind of summarize a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you do at Philips and any asks that you might have of our audience. Thank, thank you very much. It has been a pleasure having been a pediatrician for a long time and an executive for eight years, having found my new uh, uh, role in a company with a purpose, a company who wants to to, to improve the life of 3 billion people by, by 2030, which is a very, very inspiring uh, uh, mission. Uh, it is great to be part of this company. It is great to bring the outside in view in to, to and, and at the same time, add credibility to the company by providing the inside out view and, and engaging with startup companies, engaging with, uh, with professional societies, with doctors, with providers. Uh, I feel perfectly fine in my new role. And I think uh, doctors in a company as Philips have a very, very important role to play. And how can people get in touch with you if they want to speak to you? They can, they can get in touch via Bart. Uh, uh, he is listening in here. You have his credentials and um, they can just shoot us an email and um, I will be always very clear if there is any opportunity to collaborate and if there is I will direct them to the right people in the company. Great and I'll put that email in the description of this podcast. So Jan thank you very much for coming on it's been a pleasure. Thank you thank you James talk to you later bye-bye.